0: This is Maria. And this is Jordan. Welcome back to Major Musings.
1: Welcome back. How have you been, Jordan?
0: Good. Um, I've been kind of busy with some readings. Also, just enjoying enjoying knitting, which Mm. I picked up over the summer. I don't think I've mentioned it on the podcast yet, but...
1: No, but people should follow you on your knitting account on Instagram. Yes. You just uh, knitted a dress. I did. Yeah, I worked on that instead of reading.
0: But you know what? I'm proud of I'm proud of it. So, I feel accomplished and now good. Now it's go time. <laughs> there you go. Good job.
1: Yeah. Now you can wear the dress while you're reading. Exactly. Exactly.
0: But yeah, so with that, with that said, uh, most of my readings have been either for the film class that I'm taking or mm-hmm. related to Kirkaby. So uh, I won't be talking about those since I've already talked about him. Okay. Yeah. Um, but so I I was chatting with one of my new friends in the program. She's a first year MA student and I mm-hmm. told her about the podcast. So if you're listening, Dora, hello. <laughs> um, but talking with her the other day uh, inspired me to uh, to talk or for inspired me for what I want to talk about in this episode.
1: Oh, cool. Okay.
0: Yeah. And so uh, a year ago in fall semester last year, I took a class about the Islamic city which was outside of my comfort zone in terms mm-hmm. of time period because it was focused mainly on like medieval cities yeah and also you know i i've learned about modern and contemporary middle eastern and arab art from you but otherwise i don't know a ton about the middle east and specifically right. islamic art and so this was Outside of my comfort zone in terms of uh, specialization, but it was such an amazing class. It was so interesting, and the professor was really, really awesome, just very supportive of people learning about her area of knowledge mm-hmm. and also supportive of finding a topic to write on for that paper that, you know, related to the class in some way and what we'd been discussing, but also okay. still focused on what you were personally interested in. So so, what I want to talk about is kind of from that class, um, but the paper I wrote about was looking at Islamic gardens and perceptual experiences and sensorial experiences in those mm-hmm. and comparing them to the works of James Turrell and Donald Judd. Who, Maria, you might be familiar with them, but for any of the other listeners who aren't familiar, James Terrell and Donald Judd are both American modern artists. Mm-hmm. Um, so very different from, you know, a, a classical Islamic garden. Just a tad. Yeah. But it was a really, a really great paper. Um I had a lot of fun researching it just because. The two, those two thing, or those, I guess, three sort of things or people seem mm-hmm. very disparate. But once I started doing the research, I actually was finding a lot of connections and interesting areas of analysis. And for a very brief moment, I was considering, like, uh, do I want to write my thesis on this? Like, do I want to turn <laughs> this paper into my thesis? And... <laughs> Obviously, I did not end up choosing that just because I think it it just would have been a lot... It would have taken a lot more research. and Well, not that my current thesis is not going to take research, but it it kind of just would have changed my trajectory a little. Mm -hmm. And so I decided against it, but I still really liked the paper and the writing experience. And so... I right. wanted to focus today on James Turrell specifically just cuz I have the most experience like with his work in mm-hmm. terms of seeing them in person and I I think he's particularly interesting to look at because I think people who maybe encounter his work yeah ha- they have it's very easy to get just a very surface level understanding or experience with them. and writing this paper really allowed me to go more in depth into his practice. Um, mm-hmm. So for those who don't know, James Terrell, uh, he works in what I would call experiential spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes they're installations sometimes their entire rooms or architectural buildings and oftentimes he uses light and natural and the natural environment to really kind of create and enhance the works and your experience of being in them or interacting with them. So one of the most well-known ones that he has or I guess I should say a type of work that he has is called the sky space. And so these are either freestanding buildings or sometimes they are maybe rooms either attached to a building or a room that has been renovated uh, where they're usually very minimal inside. So blank walls maybe a bench to sit on, otherwise mm-hmm. just standing. But they all have this aperture open on the ceiling. So basically like a sun, like a sunlight or sunlight. Yeah. Does that make sense? A skylight. Yeah. That's what I was looking for. That
1: makes sense. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> and, you know, sometimes maybe like your house or an apartment would have one, but of course this is a window. Mm-hmm. And in the sky space, they're just completely open to the natural environment on the outside. And so with this, it allows the light to filter in. Obviously this means that depending on the time of day or the time of year even that you visit, you're gonna have a vastly different experience. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: He also will oftentimes install lights. So white lights, warm lights, different colored lights. And these also very much change how you're experiencing the work when you're inside it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's they're also usually very tranquil, um, obviously because you know they're not. I was going to say functioning building, but they do function in a in a specific way. But you know they're not spaces of of work or of domesticity. They're really spaces of reflection, contemplation, and this makes for a really unique experience when you visit one. And I would encourage listeners to, to Google Skyspace for the area that you live in because he, he's done them all across the U.S. and across the world. Like They're in a lot of different places. Um, so if any of our Florida listeners are familiar with the Ringling Museum in Sarasota, there's one at that museum that's really wonderful. Yeah, so Maria, I don't know, I don't know if you've been to that museum. Have you?
1: I, the one in Sarasota, I think I have. Okay. It's a very short trip, though. Yeah, but there, there's this preference,
0: or not preference, there is an oculocentrism that occurs in, in Western painting where we privilege, or not we, but previous artists privileged this act of viewing and this sight as what they were considering when they were making their artwork. And so if we think about painters throughout, you know, maybe I'd say like the 18th and 19th centuries, like... J.M.W. Turner or Albert Bierstadt, who are painting these wonderful and rich landscapes and other sort of genre paintings, yes, they were capturing light, but it's so focused on only what we're seeing. And even, even a photographer like Ansel Adams, who is very talented, and his, his works of the or his photographs of the American West are stunning. It's still very much only based on our vision. There's no other really, right. and I mean part of this is due to the medium, of course, like painting and photography are slightly limited. Uh, but James Terrell is kind of pushing the boundaries on that. And uh, for critics and scholars who write about Tyrrell, you know, light is an obvious choice in terms of things to mm-hmm. to write about when you're looking at his art. And he kind, of, he kind of plays into that as well. Like, when he does interviews or if he writes about his own work, he often will discuss light and his fascination with it. Um, yeah. And he's even said that his work is, quote, about space and the light that inhabits it. It mm-hmm. is how you confront that space and plummet. It is about your seeing. And so what I argued in the paper is the seeing is the first of many senses that you use in a Terrell space. Mm -hmm. And it is important, but this type of seeing that he encourages, uh, it kind of allows the viewer to engage with the space in a way that becomes multi-sensorial. So if we think back to the sky space in the Ringling Museum, which we will post pictures of on our Instagram, of course. course. Um, You know, going through a museum, there's kind of an unspoken decorum that you have in which, you know, maybe you you whisper, talk softly with, with the people you're visiting with, but, you know, you're generally relatively calm you're not going to be running around or being Mm. loud which is another which is something that we could like talk about in another conversation yeah Um, of course but but when you're at the museum and then you walk into the separate sky space area there is a a feeling of, of change because it's like you're walking outside because the space you know is open to the elements obviously with the the aperture on the ceiling yeah but you're also still kind of part of the museum and and so there's this really interesting phenomenon that occurs where you know you're you know that you're walking into this space that is an art space and yet it feels so different from any sort of traditional regimented art viewing area in that the walls are probably blank. There's probably nothing on them. In in the case of the Ringlings sky space, I believe that there are like vines or some sort of plant life that that's growing on the walls, which is very cool and I really love that. But otherwise, there's nothing really there. There are benches around, I think kind of on all four sides of the space. There's benches where you can sit And so then of course, you know, you sit down, you look around, you maybe start to notice some of the various details, like how the walls do have the vines growing up them, how some of the walls are pink to match the other walls of the ringling. Mm -hmm. Some of it is white. You might look up at the sky and see how blue it is, or maybe you see clouds Depending on the time of year you go, you probably might sweat
1: because it's Florida, and yeah.
0: and so, <laughs> and or so there's or get
1: rained on, miserably. or get rained
0: on. Yeah, that's a very good point. Is that yeah? You could totally just get rained on, or depending on if you visit a sky space in the north. Like I know he has one out in like the Swedish countryside. You could get wow. snowed on or something, or be really really cold. Mm-hmm. So this, this interaction with the outdoor elements immediately changes your experience of having previously been in a museum. Now your sense of touch is activated, you know, you could walk around the wall and feel the surfaces, you could sit down on the wooden benches. In other sky spaces, the benches might be made of stone or cement. So immediately, there's another another sense that has been activated. And on on top of that, you know, your auditory senses are also activated because we're outside. We can hear birds flying around maybe or insects buzzing. Mm -hmm. Depending on where you are again, you might hear other noise. So I'm thinking of another sky space that he did. This one was in Chicago actually um I should have I, I should have told you about it when you were there you could have visited it. Oh no
1: Ugh. well I'll try to make myself I'll try to get myself back there
0: yes um I believe this one is this one is on the campus of the University of Illinois at Chicago so okay I I'm not super familiar with the city, so I don't know where
1: that is, but... A little further from where I was at. Okay. So, considering my schedule. Well, not schedule. It's funny, I was talking with someone else about the program that I was in, and how I basically didn't have a life outside of it. So, chances are, (laughs) I wouldn't have gone. That's that's very fair. But it is now on my bucket list. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so... In this sky space, you know, it's in a huge city. It's on a college campus. It's a very mm-hmm. urban environment for this sky space, very different from the space attached to a museum or yeah. or the building in the Swedish countryside like I referenced earlier, you know. And with this one too, it's a little bit different from from some of his other ones that feel very, uh, very structure-like and very, hmm. uh, I, I want to say building-like, and I know that's not very specific, but um, a lot of them are just more slightly closed off, I would say, and hmm. that also can partially be because if they're you know attached to a pre-existing building you're working with architecture that already exists but this one in Chicago it looks almost like a pavilion it's very right. open and so you have this ability to just walk in off the street mm-hmm. and kind of escape from the liveliness of the city that is previously around you and uh, when when it was built built and when it was open to the public the university put you know a little statement out with more information about it and so they Mm -hmm. wrote visitors can sit on benches that line the perimeter and they they can gaze up toward an opening in the ceiling there's a precisely determined 16 foot oculus that frames the sky and celestial changes using light to create a constantly shifting colorful visual display that brings the space of the sky down to the plane of the building. So though the space is still open to the city around it, there was a conscious effort on the part of Terrell to create a space that was removed from its geographical place. There's also water features in this one, which I think is really cool. cool. Um, In my research, I didn't... I mean... And I didn't do extensive research on every skyspace he has because there's a lot, yeah but, but I didn't find many others that had water in them, so I think yeah. this one is is pretty unique in that, and so the water features do help to create kind of pseudo walls because otherwise the structure is is very pavilion like so very open yeah
1: i think it's I think it's interesting that. Obviously, with them being placed as a view into the sky and the surrounding environment, you know, no matter where they are, it's going to be a very different experience because of the geographical variance. Right. But also the fact that there's variations in the rooms themselves or what he does with them. So, with the ringling, it very much matches the museum space, the one you're talking about in Sweden is also obviously very different. And then this one with the water features, also very different. Yeah. So it's like, in a in a sense, he doesn't have control over certain changes just because of nature. Mm-hmm. But he, he does control other elements as well, which is interesting.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, this one in Chicago can act probably as a sort of reprise for passersby, depending on the environment so like we were talking about earlier it raining when you're at the ringling mm-hmm. it could be raining in chicago and or snow <laughs> snowing perhaps oh, and God. you know you you want to get out you want to get out of the the weather and so you're walking by this little structure you can pop under real quick mm-hmm. but then with the opening in the ceiling you do still have the ability to experience that that bit of weather yeah. but it's very mediated which is very right. Yeah, very interesting. You have a lot of control over how you want to experience those natural elements around you.
1: Mediated is a good word.
0: Yeah. To describe
1: it. Yeah, and and so James Turrell is the mediator between audience and nature.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And so with the one in Chicago, I mean, even though I haven't been there, I'm assuming it's a really a really fascinating experience and it really would make you aware of your body and where you are because once you're inside if you're sitting down you know the water features are on so you have this this quasi tranquility and yet yeah. just feet some several feet away there's cars probably going past you people walking talking and so you have very different experiences kind of all happening at once and it really it really just makes you aware of yourself and where you are aware of your body's abilities and yeah yeah, I I just I think it's really really neat and I mean obviously the light that's kind of like the first step that's like the first level of understanding Mm -hmm. Tyrell and his work and once you really dig deep into considering the different types of sky spaces and the different types of environments that he built them in, you, c- you can begin to see how other senses may be used. And even like I was talking about earlier with like the sense of touch and your, your sense of listening, sense of sound. I don't know, <laughs> sounds weird to say it like that, but in, in a place like the Chicago one, You also... Your sense of smell could be activated as well, depending on, like, if people are walking past you with food. You could smell the exhaust from cars around you. So, like, it really is a multi-sensorial experience that the... I almost don't want to call the person the viewer. It's the inhabitor.
1: Yeah. It's a a multi-sensorial experience that transcends the average notion of what viewing a work of art looks like. Exactly. You think that the only senses activated would be the sense of sight to observe what's in front of you. Yeah. But there's so much there beyond that. And it kind of reminds me of John... I wonder if Terrell thought of John Cage as he was making these works because... Maybe. Cage is very infamous for his 4 minutes and 33 seconds... <laughs> Which is just, I remember that our professor one time in undergrad sat us through it, uh, four minutes and 33 seconds of silence, which you think is silence, but then she asks us, what did you hear? Yeah. And we just all started saying, you know, the, the squeaking of the chairs, our breathing, the rustling, is the word rustling? I forget, but yeah. like the paper, the sound of paper as we were going through our notebooks. Mm-hmm. It's, it's everything outside of the work of art physically. And I that's kind of what he's doing here too. Yeah, yeah. I think where Cage would probably
0: start with sound and noise and our ears as the tools for experiencing his art and then move to other to move to yeah. activating other senses. That's where Terrell goes. Yeah, yeah. Terrell starts with your eyes and looking and then moves to activate your other yeah. senses in other ways. So, yeah, I think that's a really good uh, comparison to yeah. make between them. And, you know, I, I mentioned at the beginning that Terrell has done a, a ton, he's just done so many different types of artworks and types of spaces. And so, you know, the sky space is just one of them. Another one that he's done is called a dark space, which okay. it's basically exactly what what it sounds. It's a very, very, very dark space. And so one of the examples that I talked about in my paper, which I'll I'll talk about here, it's this room or, or building with f- maybe two rooms or so. Um, but Mm. it's on this island called Naoshima off the coast of Japan Um, and so when you visit this you enter well I I believe that there is an attendant outside the door just to you know explain about what you're about to enter into because Mm. it's very disorienting when you walk in it's nearly pitch black
1: Um. and
0: so you know you walk in I don't I don't know for sure if there are any benches or anywhere to sit, or if it's only standing. But regardless, you probably wouldn't be able to see them at first anyway. And so you walk in, and then very, very slowly, as your eyes begin to adjust, you do notice that there is very minimal amount of light coming from one end of the room. Mm -hmm. And so then you know as you're having this experience of being almost blinded to then kind of being able to see you have a very different sort of uh perceptual experience than what you would have in a sky space you know yeah. your your uh your sense of sight has been completely taken from you and so your other senses become heightened so you know you might listen for when you walk, how are your footsteps echoing in the space around mm. you? You're obviously going to want to use your hands to touch, you know, to make sure that you don't run into the walls or yeah. or into anyone else if you're visiting with someone. Right. I, there might... I don't know if there would be a reason to smell anything. Um, <laughs> and I mean... The only sense that you're not going to be using, I'm assuming, in any of these spaces is your sense of taste, unless you like bring food with you or something. But, you know, otherwise, you're really relying on your other senses here. And I think in in almost all of Terrell's spaces, whether they're sky spaces or dark spaces or any of his other types, there is a lot of room for contemplation and stoicism, you know, Mm. thinking, just thinking with yourself, thinking about yourself, thinking about other people, about the space, a lot of time for internal reflection. But I feel like, especially here in the dark space, when you can't see anything around you and you are relying on these other senses, it really is forcing you to to think and it leaves you alone with your thoughts so it's also a very a very interesting space so another another space similar to the dark space but Mm -hmm. i think it's technically considered to be something different um it's called space division construction Mm -hmm. i actually got to see it or to see one of them in pittsburgh last year when i visited there for fun, and this is also similar to a dark space in that it's very, very dark. However, this one, it's set up a little differently, so you walk down a very dark hallway, and then there's a corner, and at this point, you can't really see anything, and so, you know, you're relying on your arms to to reach out to find the walls, or maybe other people were. Were already there you're listening for their voices because oh I should say that that this one different from the dark space on Naoshima Island mm-hmm. this space division construction was located in a museum so similar to the ringling sky space so you know it's already part of the museum and it's just uh, a little section was
1: that
0: again? Uh, It's called the mattress factory
1: <laughs>
0: Oh. yeah if anyone is in Pittsburgh it's a very cool contemporary art museum. They have a lot of installations and
1: large scale works like Terrell. I should say, because this reminds me of a work that we walked through in Copenhagen.
0: Like oh, two yeah. Years ago.
1: It, was, it was overwhelming in color. Yeah. From the outside. And then you the minute you walk in, it's just fog. Yes, I could not see a thing. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, it yeah. just occurred to me as you were describing that. I'm like, is this what she's talking about? I don't remember. This was James
0: Turrell. No, and I. Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on who the artist is. I think it. I think it's a woman. It was I'll a woman artist. Try to find artist. it as you're
1: talking, but
0: okay. Yeah. But yeah, that that's really after I. Say my say the rest about the space division construction. We mm-hmm. can we can circle back to this.
1: Yeah, for sure. And
0: and talk about our our experience in it. Um, okay. Because yeah, with this one at the Mattress Factory, Terrell's work, and this is partly just based on how the museum is is laid out, but mm-hmm. it pretty much takes up an entire floor of their museum. Yeah, And so you get off the elevator and immediately it's so much darker uh, mm-hmm. and and kind of the landing area where it has the wall text. You know, there's some lighting so that you can read what you're about to, to enter through. But then, yeah, you walk down this hallway and you turn a corner and you're like, you just, you don't know where you're going. How far back does it go? What will you be able to see, if anything? And... As you turn around a corner, you see this bright blue, it's like a blue iris color, so it's almost purplish a little, yeah. just this rectangle of light seemingly projected on the wall in front of you. And as your eyes adjust and you you know—you can actually see the room that you're in now, you walk towards it, and if your hands were out before to see the walls, you walk forward and you realize as you approach this wall of blue that it's mm-hmm. not a wall, that there's a wall behind it, that this rectangle of light that you see was not projected, that it was actually just cut out of the wall in front, and that there are lights coming up from below that are mm-hmm. then illuminating this this wall that is recessed. And it just completely, like, okay. completely changes what your perception previously was because you know when you're walking in and you're confronted with it from afar it's like oh it's this rectangle of blue against a wall you think that you can reach out and touch it and then when you walk forward to actually meet it it's it's back like you you feel like you're almost going to fall back trying to touch it and yeah it's just it's such a fascinating experience and it really it really challenges what our eyes are telling us you know like your mm. eyes are telling you one thing and then when you get closer your touch your ability to feel it with your hand or to not feel it yeah confirms what is actually there and so it's just a very different way of experiencing the the world very different from the sky space and from the other dark space and i think that's part of what makes james terrell really cool is that he is able to challenge our senses and to challenge what we are perceiving to be real but in so many different ways too like he's not only a sky space person he's like he's not only a sky space artist where we sit with an opening in the ceiling and see the weather and that obviously is very they're very cool and interesting and retrospective or not retrospective introspective Mm -hmm. spaces but it's like When you take into consideration all these other different types of spaces that he's created, it it just his body of work becomes so much more rich. And and I think that looking at the Islamic garden and this idea of perceptual culture instead Mm of quote unquote just art history, right? Using that using that way of thinking, turning to a more modern contemporary artist like Terrell really changed the way that I thought about it. And yeah, it was just, it was very cool. And I don't know, did you find, did you find more information on the artists that we saw? I did.
1: Okay, cool. It was cool. Veronica Janssen's. Okay. And I found, I found the, it, it's not really a warning, but it kind of, Sounds like a warning before we walk into it. It was called Blue, Red, and Yellow. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll post a video of us in there struggling. Yeah. A video. <laughs> but it says, it says entering the installation Blue, Red, and Yellow is at your own risk. This installation is deliberately disorienting with very limited visibility.
0: Yeah. And we're like, oh lovely i i remember when we walked in and we we were like oh my gosh and i remember us laughing a lot too because it was you you know you you know because they tell you that it's going to be disorienting but you don't fully realize until you're in until
1: you walk in
0: yeah and and it's like oh my gosh maria you are three feet away from me and i cannot see you
1: i know it's even if you were a foot away from me i couldn't see yeah
0: even a foot yeah yeah, it was similar to to some of the Tyrell dark spaces. Your your sense of sight is taken away, and yeah, immediately there's also
1: there's also an element of vulnerability. Yeah, because if you walk in the middle, in the center of it, at least the one we were in, and you can't see, you have nothing to fall back on. Yeah, like a lot of us stayed on the side holding on to one side of the wall to let yeah. us, to let it guide us. So it's yeah, it was it was an otherworldly experience, but it was fun.
0: Yeah, it w- it was really cool and it also is it's very different too from the Terrell space because yeah. there, you know, he's he's taken away our sense of sight by taking away the light where it's right. literally black. You can't see anything. And
1: here with this one, you could see, there's but, a lot of color. Yeah. But at the same time, there's nothing.
0: Yeah. So very different. Yeah. Sort of blindness. Right. Um, all it, Thinking about how you called it vulnerable, I I feel like that that one almost made me feel more vul, vulnerable than than walking through the space division construction at the mattress mm-hmm. factory because even though even though it was very dark i don't know it's like you know we're we're used to having it be dark when when we go to sleep and we turn the lights out yeah. or if, or if we've gone camping and there's no lights around us so it's like in those situations usually we have a sense that oh some sort of light is going to come back or mm-hmm. there will be some point of light somewhere or like your eyes will adjust at yeah. some point. But with this one there it was still light out. Like like you said there were tons of colors and it was just because of that fog or whatever you that was what was preventing you from seeing and it yeah. really yeah, it was so crazy. So I know. so enjoyable though. Like it really it was a fun it was a fun experience, I'd say. It was. But yeah, anyway, I think I'll I'll kind of wrap up uh okay, here, just because if I try if I like continue to talk and get more into my paper, this this episode would be like two hours long. Uh, <laughs> but I, I mean, I'll put my paper up on our link tree, so in case sure. anyone wants to read it, they can. Um, because i I do think this sort of analysis and this sort of topic. Mm-hmm. I hope is kind of where art history starts to go in the future of, yeah. you know, not being afraid to, to take two disparate art forms or time periods and use, use them to, to find new, new ways of thinking about both of them. I yeah. mean, this idea of perceptual culture, which um, the scholar, I think her name is Wendy Shaw's, She's the one who kind of pioneered that that term and she used it when she was writing about um, I think her book was called literally like what is Islamic Art or something to that effect so like mm-hmm. this very broad idea uh, she used this idea of perceptual culture instead of art history just because it does open up more avenues for exploration when you aren't limited to only seeing you know so yeah anyway I'll yeah before I like get more (laughs) get more into it I'll end it there um Um, but yeah anyway I I had I had fun talking about Terrell, and I'm glad that we were able to to talk about our our own experience with the other the other artwork it was fun I'm
1: glad you shared and I think it was really cool how you came to talk about him through your islamics class yeah i think it's really awesome how you found that connection thanks (laughs) of course but yeah who uh who are you going to be talking about next week So, so i'm going to be talking about ali ali she's a yemeni bosnian u.s multimedia artist she's basically been all over the world um I came across her through my fellow U Chicagoan Jad. Jad wrote about her in their thesis and she was actually I forget the name of the art festival exactly in Chicago but it's a big one. I wasn't able to be there cuz I was in Florida at the time, but one of her a few of her works were on display there the year that I was doing my program but uh yeah i mean Jad was obsessed with her and they would talk to me about her all the time and her work is absolutely stunning so cool i'm excited to share more in a couple yeah weeks.
0: i'll be looking forward to that
1: yeah all right then well i guess i'll see you and everyone else i won't see everyone else but they'll hear me <laughs> yes <laughs> next time yes all right then bye
0: bye thanks for listening thank you bye